Ah, there we go. Now I am. Okay. First John chapter 3, verse number 18. And we're going to look um, 18 and 19, then probably we'll just scoot right over um, to Hebrews and then to Genesis. All right? That's kind of what we're going to do. It's a wonderful scripture that we have tonight. And frankly, it is one that's close to my heart. It's close to my heart. And you'll see why, and I'll tell you why, in just a moment. Now, again, remember John continues the theme of love. Oh, oh, oh disclaimer, disclaimer, uh, um, caveat, caveat. Um, don't listen to the Baptist out of Mark because I'm almost certain I'm going to do this. So stay in bed, listen for the dead people, and go back to bed, okay? So, so don't do that, all right? Just wanted to let you know, just, just in case, all right? So John continues this story of love, and in verse 18, here's what he says. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth. That is so good. Let me read that part again. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. And what he's saying is, when it comes down to love, really, words alone just simply have no power. Words alone have no strength. Husbands, you've learned this. You've learned this. You've learned this. You got busy in your job. You've done all kinds of things. And along the way, you've whispered those magic words, you know, and you say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And one day your wife just comes in and says, you don't love me. And he goes, what do you mean I don't love you? I tell you. And she goes, I need more than words. I need action. I need action. And in American culture, we're so quick to whisper the words, I love you, but so slow to come across with action. And that is so true in the church also. It's so true in the church. It's so easy to say, I love you, but it's a lot more difficult to bring that forth in action. You know, where he says, deed, it's doing something about the love that you say that you have. In truth means from your heart. It's not, it's not a love that we, we conjure up or we put a plastic face on. It's a true love from our hearts backed up by the actions in our lives. Now, in verse 19, we get to really where I want to go tonight. The Bible says this, And by, by this we know, John speaking, By this we know that we are of the truth. Okay? And shall assure our hearts before Him. You know, I don't know about you, but do you ever have an unsure heart? Do you ever have... You know, again, I was raised in a situation in church, and so many of us was, that I knew I was saved by grace, but somehow I just had to figure out my heart that I had to, to earn God's continual favor by my performance. And frankly, I wasn't a good performer. I was just too inconsistent. I just had too many failures, and I grew up. And I mean grew up. I mean preached to people and with the concept and the thought that, okay, I know I'm saved by grace, but God's got to be frowning at me. He's got to be so disappointed in me because of my many failures. Ever experienced that? Does your heart sometimes say that to you? That how could God love? Or how could my husband love? Or Dwayne, if you knew? Or, or just, you know, if there are students here tonight, if your students might say, well, if my parents knew, they certainly would not love me. But he says this, by this we'll know, we'll know. By the fact that we, we, have, um, we don't love in tongue and in and word, but we love, we love in deed and in truth. By this we'll know of, that we are the truth and shall assure, have confidence in our hearts. And this is the part I just love. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. How many of us have gone through life? How many of us have journeyed with Jesus, if you will, through our journey questioning because our heart so condemns us? 
Now, now you might say, well, what, what causes this kind of a situation? Well, in Jeremiah 17, 9, and this is the Dwayne Taylor translation, okay? So don't hold me exactly to it. But it says this, the heart is desperately wicked. The heart is desperately deceitful. Who can know it? Who can know it? And yet, we'll, I've said these words before to people, trust your heart, trust your heart, trust your heart. And, and I've said to myself, Dwayne, what's your heart tell you? What's your heart tell you? You can't trust your heart. Because your heart will lie to you. And I love, Judy got in the habit a while back of writing things on the shower door. And it's now under the bed because we have a shower curtain. But I think it says something like this. Your heart hears everything your mind says. And when we are constantly thinking these, you know, God can't love me. Um, how could God care for me? I'm a failure. I'm all these things. When we're thinking these thoughts, it's just natural, emotional, gravitational pull that pulls it right down to our hearts. And our heart condemns us. And our heart condemns us. Now, now there's three things let me give you tonight that might cause this, this feeling you have in your heart, this, this condemnatory heart. Is that a word, condemnatory? Hey, you heard it first here today. Folks, you hear it first tonight at Doorsville Baptist Church. If you have a condemnatory heart, okay, write down these three things. The first off this, and I really like this because I think it's true, an overactive conscience. An overactive conscience. Now, I don't know about you, but again, I can, I can feel guilty for things that I never did. Anyone here can say amen? I mean, I just sit there. There are things that happen, and somehow I figure out, I, listen, you think it's funny. You think it's a joke, but it's not. But I am already, Todd, you know what was mentioned in the meeting tonight uh, when you said about a person. And my first thought was, I hope I haven't offended a person. If you don't show up for church next Sunday, it's because I failed you somehow. That's what you call an overactive conscience. You know, we are constantly just bombarding ourselves with my fault, my fault, my fault. Okay? Be careful of that. And listen, listen, don't contribute to that if you're a person. Don't, listen, people have enough guilt without us throwing guilt on them. So be careful with that. You know, you take a person, you know, you, you take a person that has a sensitive heart or sensitive conscience and you throw extra guilt on them, man, it's really like throwing gas on a fire. It really is. So, so a, a condemnatory heart, if that's a word, then can happen from an overactive conscience. It can happen from failure. Anyone here ever failed? Anyone ever failed? And it's amazing. It impacts us deeply. We have this, this sense of unworthiness. And this is so, Dave, this is so contrary to the gospel. You know, Jesus died to save us from this stuff. And yet if we're not careful, um, some through religious practices, but some just how we're wired or how we're made or how we allow people to impact us, we have this real tendency. So, so sometimes a failure in our life will just dog us and our heart will condemn us. And let's just be honest, Satan plays a role in this. Big time. You know, I, I, at the top of the sermon sheet, I, I told David, I said, have you ever thought about this about two weeks ago? You know, there's two reasons why we're not joyful. There's two reasons we're not greatly used of God. Uh, one is we think too little of ourselves, and the other is we think too much of ourselves. One, we think too little of ourselves, and the other, we think too much of ourselves. And again, Satan plays a role in this. You know, before we're saved, particularly before we're saved, Satan wants us to make us think a lot of ourselves. 
I mean, he spent, he spent a conversation in the garden telling Eve how bad God was and how good she was. And as long as you can have a person before the gospel, before grace, if you can get a person who, who is living and Satan can convince them how good they are and how, how God is an evil God, a mean God, and, and how good they are, that's where he wants them. We think too much of ourselves. But incredibly, as believers, after we experience grace, his job becomes for us to think too little of ourselves. Friend, you are blood-bought. You are a child of God. You are anointed of the Holy Spirit. And for us to spend our time wallowing in self-pity and self-doubt when we have been made a masterpiece by God is simply wrong. It's simply wrong. Now, now we've got to be way careful of pride. Pride can easily well up into our lives as believers. But Satan most likely will attack you if he's not using pride, he'll have this false pride. Was it Beth Moore who said, whether you're thinking too little of yourself or too much of yourself, it's still about you. And it's not about you, it's about Christ. It's about Christ. So, so if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. So I thought and I said, okay, who in the Bible kind of wrestled with this? And I think Moses came to my mind. I know Moses came to my mind. And what I want to do is, and again, there will be a lot of reading tonight, okay? But I wanted to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 23. And I kind of wanted to take a look at Moses' life. And I call this the high view. Listen, listen, are you listening? The view of you from heaven is largely different from the view of you from earth. How God sees you from heaven is much better than your view from here. And if we could learn to trust God's view of us, we would be much more effective and powerful believers and kingdom builders because we would know God has made us. We have not made ourselves. And listen, we don't have to perform because he's already done it. Now, now in Hebrews chapter 11, listen to this. This is the high view. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. And because they saw he was a beautiful child, I've got to pause there. You know, as you know, um, I, I think you know, I am the baby of eight. And it's just a standing joke. There are two jokes in our, in our family. One is, is that it takes eight tries for mom and dad to get it right. I mean, you know, my biggest brother, my oldest brother was born. The rumor goes, the urban legend is this, that she looked at Reggie and said, Austin, we've got to do better. And so they had my next brother, Joe. And she looked down at Joe and said, we got to do better. It took them all the way to number eight to get it right. Hence, hence, my nickname in the family is Precious. If I'm lying, I'm dying, baby. Hey, but Moses could identify with that. I mean, you know, you know, John Bear looks at him and says, oh, what a beautiful child. I mean, he would identify with that kind of theology. All right, so when they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command, you've got to love that. Not afraid of the king's command. The king's command was throw the babies in the river. They were not afraid of the king's command. So by faith, Moses, when he became of age, when he grew up, listen to this. This is a high view. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't that awesome? Refused 
to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now you've got to go, yay, God, yay, Moses, amen. I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the guys we celebrate today, the, the dead guys that we go, man, what great faith. He could have had a comfortable life in the palace of Pharaoh, but he said, no, I'll identify with the affliction of, of the people and I'll say no to sin. Yay, God, high view, high view. Look at verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt, fearing the wrath of the king, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invaluable, uh, invisible. In other words, as Moses journeyed, somehow, somehow in his, 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 his eyes of faith, he could see the one. He, he refused to let the unexplainable rob him of the undeniable. Let me say that again. He refused to let the unexplainable. There were so many things Moses could not explain in his life. Here he is on the backside of the desert, kicked out of Egypt. He couldn't explain that. But the undeniable fact was that he was a God follower. He was a God follower. How awesome. High view. How incredible is that? By faith, he kept the Passover. And the sprinkling of blood, blood, lest he who endured the firstborn should touch them. Who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Wow. You know, God said, slaughter a lamb, take the blood, and put it on the doorpost and the lentils. And he did it. It made no sense. He simply trusted God. By faith, verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea. And as by dry ground, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so, they drowned. They drowned. He had, listen, listen. Imagine this. He's standing there and there's water everywhere and, and he simply believes God. And as he believes God, the water parts and he leads over a million people through this Red Sea as if on dry ground. What a high view. And listen, that's what God said. That's what God said about Moses. Now listen, when we choose to believe God and what God says about us, rather than to believe what Satan or we ourselves says about us, then we have new power. Because as long as Satan can convince us that we're a failure, that we're trash, we're cast away, we belong in the dump, you know, God, God shouldn't let you in the family. When we believe that garbage, we negate the power of God in our lives. We need to believe the high view. Now, did you see... What was missing here? Do you see the murder of an Egyptian? Do you see a man, a prince of Egypt, going across the desert and living 40 years as a poor shepherd? That's never mentioned. You know why? Because of grace, God forgoes our failures and equips us for his future. That's why. The high view is this. We are children of grace, not failure. God has equipped us. God has empowered us to do his kingdom work. And Satan fears. Satan fears a believer who understands who he is by God's grace. Because if he can keep us thinking less of ourselves and less of our Savior, then he's got us where he wants us. And that's what we see when you go to Exodus chapter 3. That's what you see. Look, look what it says. Go ahead and take your Bibles look at Exodus chapter 3. Now this, again, I'm going to read quickly through this part 
to get to where I want to go. This would be, if the other was the high view, this is the low view. This is the view from earth. And frankly, it's where we live. So Moses said, this was verse 3, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw the turn aside, God called out to him. And, and pause and write this down if you're taking notes. God calls out to the broken. God, it, this is a, David, this is a beautiful picture of God's redemptive plan. You know, God calls out to the broken Moses, okay, to use him. So he calls out to him from the midst of the bush and says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here, I am, here am I. Then verse 5. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the ground where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now look, this is the glorious, again, a beautiful picture of God's plan of redemption. A beautiful picture. I called it the glorious plan. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. God looked down from his throne in glory and saw the oppression of people and provided a Savior. Amen? Amen? And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, became flesh, became Emmanuel, became God with us. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian and to bring them up from that land to a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and with honey. And God calls us from the slave market and brokenness of this world and calls us to a good land, a holy land, His land of abundance. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That's what God's called us to. To the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites, Hivites and the Jebusites. Now watch. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel, this is verse 9, has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now. Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Amen. Help us to preach. Help them to see. So all the nations will believe. When troubles come, we'll carry on rejoicing as you make us strong. Moses, I have a glorious plan. And Moses, I'm inviting you to be a part of that glorious plan. And he looks at his church today. He says, church, I have a plan. And I invite you to be a part of that plan. Therefore, come now. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out. That's why God left us here. Someone say amen. God has left his church here to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring people out of the darkness, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And you just got to really like this next verse. This is one of those Paul's moments. But Moses said to God, Who am I? And that's the song I was looking for, by the way. Who am I? You know, God, 
Have you seen my failures? Do you see my present circumstances? Let me review them for you. You know, I was born in Egypt, a slave, and somehow by your marvelous sovereignty, I ended up in Pharaoh's house. And I took plans in my, I took matters in my own plan, my own way. And you remember I murdered a guy? I murdered a guy. You remember how I was kicked out of Egypt and I crawled to the wilderness? And you understand, for the last 40 years, I've done nothing but fail. I'm a despicable shepherd is all I am. On the backside of the desert, mind you. God, are you sure you've got the right guy? (laughs) Who am I? Do you ask the question tonight? Have you ever asked God, who am I? God has called you to be a part of his glorious plan. And we spend time going, God, who am I? Let me tell you again who you are. You are a blood-bought child of God. In and of yourself, you're not much. But with the power of God and the grace of God on your life, you become a formidable foe for the kingdom of God of God. That's who you are. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be talented. You've got to be available and ready to do what God asks you to do. That's what you've got to do. Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. I love this. You need to write this down. Verse 12. So he said, I will be with you. Basically, he said this, Moses, you are inconsequential. Moses, you don't matter. It's me. It's me. And brothers and sisters, as God calls us to do his kingdom work, we're inconsequential. I could say it once, I couldn't say it twice. Inconsequential. It's all about God, amen? Come on, you believe that. It's all about God. I'm going to be with you. But I'm going to give you a sign because you're going to come when you bring the people out and worship on this mountain. And, and then it's like Moses has this moment, you know. I think he sees himself heading toward Egypt. And he goes in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And by the way, Moses goes to God, Who are you? Because you've got to remember something. Listen. 400 years of silence. Slavery. A family got there and they grew bigger and bigger and bigger until they became a nation. But God has not spoken. God has not. Somewhere perhaps a distant memory passed on by the grandfather or the grandfather or the grandfather or the grandfather or the grandfather. Someone remembers something about Jehovah God. But they don't They don't remember. They don't remember those stories. So, so who am I to tell them you are? And he says, just tell them this. I am that I am. And brothers and sisters, that's enough. The fact that God is, is enough. And it's true in our lives. It's true in our circumstances. That God is, is enough. So just say to the children, I am. So we get down to Exodus chapter 4. You know, there's continuing conversation going on. But we get down to Exodus 4.10. 
And Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. I guess I tell you that tell you this. It's hard to move from the low view to the high view. It's hard to move from your view of you to God's view of you. But when you do, God can do incredible things in your life. Things you never dreamed possible. The Lord says in verse 11, Who's made man's mouth? Who made the mute, the deaf, the seen, and the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go. And I'll be with your mouth and teach you what to say. Moses, I know your failures. I know about the murder. I know that you spent 40 years on the backside of the desert watching stinking sheep. I'm aware of that. But Moses, I want to use you. And God would say to us today, in different aspects and avenues and various ways of our lives, God wants to use you. If your heart condemns you, and it will, it'll lie to you, and Satan will get there in your head, and it'll fall straight down to your heart, and you'll believe you never can be anything for God, because that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. I'm always, I'm just amazed. You know, I'm amazed how we forget the Bible. Do you understand that, you know, I was talking about my brother Lee at the funeral, and I'm sitting there thinking, and I had on my note sheet, but I never got it quite out, that my brother was exactly the kind of guy that Jesus called to be disciples. Common as dirt, could jack of all trades, could do anything, would help people, just a common guy. And that's exactly who Jesus called to be his disciples. Just, just people, just willing to be used. I know about your failures. But if you're willing, you know, I'll use you. Don't let your heart condemn you. I, the sheet I've got for you tonight, I want to read just part of it, and then you can read the rest when you get home, because I really like it. The whole Bible is filled with people that failed. And yeah, I'm telling you, there's two things that bother me. One is the fact that I'm so hard on myself when I fail, and you are too probably. And the second is, though, how hard we are on people that fail. I mean, people run to the rock pile. Uh, just a minute, I need to go get my rocks. <laughs> Finish the story when I get back. We're all failures. We're all broken. Can I have an amen? We really are. Man, that's what calls John to preach on and on about love. He said, don't you realize you're broken people? Listen to this. There are so many reasons why God should not have called you to be his child. But don't worry. You're in good company. Moses stuttered. David was too small and his armor didn't fit. John Mark was a quitter and rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos' only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. 
Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God, and Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worry ward, and Mary was lazy. Samson had long hair. Must have been written in the 70s. Noah got drunk. And did I mention that Moses had a short fuse? And so did Peter and Paul and, well, a lot of folks. There's a lot of reasons God shouldn't have called us. But there's one reason why he did. And it is grace. Bow your heads, please, with me. So discouraged brother or sister whose heart has been condemning you, remember this. God is greater than our hearts. Dave's going to lead us in a song and we'll all stand in just a moment. we got the altar open tonight. If there's anything I can pray with you about, got some other folks who'll be glad to pray with you. But as we leave this, this place this day, let's leave understanding that we are blood-bought children of God. And that in spite of our failures, our brokenness, by God's grace and His power, He can, will, and desires to use us. Father, thank You. This is really incredible truth. I want to pray against Satan. I rarely say those words. But Father, I know how Satan uses this to keep people discouraged and downhearted. And in other ways, even worse than that. I want to pray against that, Father. And I want to pray for the high view, the recognition of who you are and who we are in you, Jesus. I pray for these dear folks tonight. That, Father, we be overcomers of this world, yes, but overcomer of our heart that condemns us. May we walk in the glorious victory that you have for us. If our heart condemns us, you, God, are greater than our heart. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.